Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello and happy Thursday, everyone. Hope that you're happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are. Before we get rolling on topics and conversation, a couple things. Uh, so many comedians sharing their stories about Richard Lewis and uh, Matt Cummings, our operations manager, asked me if I mentioned him on the air yesterday. I know it was uh, brief, and I, I, oddly enough, yesterday, uh, it was the... Uh, anniversary of a, a wonderful friend of mine who passed away, another comedian named Tim Wilson. It wasn't the anniversary. It was the day they had one of those time hops where you see something you posted. And uh, Tim Wilson, another comedian I had the pleasure of working with, uh, had passed away 10 years ago. And so I was already kind of in that space of comics that I have had the pleasure and honor of working with who I've lost along the way. And um, Richard Lewis was uh, very early in my career. I would say, I think it must have been my first full year as a stand-up comic. It must have been because uh, it was the same summer as the heat wave here in Chicago. So that was 1995. And the Chicago Tribune had sent a reporter to the shows. We were uh, doing shows at the Zanies downtown on Wells. And then we were out at the Zanies in Vernon Hills. There used to be a club up there, kind of in a strip mall. Um, and we... Uh, it, we sold out, of course, uh, every single show. And for several years, I was uh, Richard Lewis's opening act when he came into the Chicagoland area. Um, and they were often, uh, in particular, guy comics liked having women as openers because uh, they just wanted to make sure there wasn't any overlap of uh, content or tone or material, that kind of stuff. I opened for, I was just telling um, Matt that I opened for Bill Maher, I opened for, oh, wow, so many great comics, actually. Ron White, uh, the cable, Larry the Cable Guy, I used to open for, Jackie Mason, uh, Greg Giraldo, uh, just to name a few of uh, the comics that I've had the, the pleasure of working with. And uh, one of my best friends is uh, Lewis Black. And uh, those are some those are some big names, especially when you're a young comedian starting out. And Richard Lewis was the first big name that I opened for. Uh, you know, he had. Um, trying, I've been trying to remember the show that he and Jamie Lee Curtis were on because that was on when I was in college. And it occurred to me yesterday after I left the station, uh, because in my memory, you know, I was a young comic and I couldn't believe I was opening for Richard Lewis. And I was thinking about that as being the first encounter. And I have to tell you. I realized last night that was not my first encounter or speaking to Richard Lewis. When I was a, a, I want to say I was a sophomore at the University of Illinois and Bill Clinton was running for the presidency, there was a rally on our campus and I was at the Illini Union and I was coming out the back doors towards the quad where they were, where folks were, people were filling up the quad. It was a huge crowd. There were even, I remember there being people like in trees and they all wanted to see Bill Clinton speak. They wanted to hear him speak. And as I was popping open one of the doors, you know, you pop it open, uh, I ha happened to open the door right into 
Richard Lewis, who was speaking at Bill Clinton's event. So I know that he continued to be very vocal about his politics, and uh, he was um, somebody who campaigned for uh, Bill Clinton back in the early 90s. Uh, so it just it, it came back to me. I completely forgot that moment. I said, hi. I, I, I'm not great. Even, even having worked with celebrities, I'm still uh, somebody who gets tongue-tied. And Richard Lewis, I think he might have been the first famous person I ever bumped into. He was very nice. I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> I was like 19 years old. I was like, oh, you're Richard Lewis. And he was very nice. And he held the doors. I walked out and, and I held it back uh, open for him in return. So uh, this is one of those weird, awkward things. He held the door open for me. And I turned around like, because I, 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 in my mind, I wanted to say something. So uh, about, gosh, it's hard to believe that less than uh, five years later that I would be standing. And I don't. And I didn't have the chance to talk to him much uh, because uh, and a friend of mine, one of the other comics that was on that show, Greg Schwem, mentioned that. And this is not uncommon. Uh, there are headliners who would like to just want some privacy, some quiet before a show. Uh, Richard Lewis tended in my shows uh, at the Zanies downtown because it was such a small room. He did use the green room once. And, and Greg said that he had asked uh, Greg to let, give him the green room so he could have some quiet. And by the way, that, like I said, not uncommon. I've worked with many comics who've asked for privacy in the green room. And, uh, and, and Greg mentioned it. He said he was sitting in a beer keg downstairs. The the Zanies on Wells is the world's tiniest popular comedy club. I mean, it is tiny. Um, so the, the beer keg had to be, it could have been back in like the sort of narrow, uh, it's kind of a hallway. And then there's also there was also a liquor room. And that's where I would often sit to listen to big name headliners. And I was there in that little tiny liquor. It was like a closet almost. It was maybe four by six feet. And um, that's where I listened to uh, Richard Lewis absolutely kill. And I did. I, I met him as he came in on the first night and I asked him, as any MC should uh, ask, is uh, how would you like me to introduce you? You know, you get uh, a lot of comics. Headliners, would, I remember they would give me like the some comics would want me to tell like a joke they'd written. And, you know, which was always awkward because it's their material. And it was always hard to sell that. And or they'd have I, I remember I got someone's credits wrong in movies and they they were kind of upset with me. And, and, and fair enough. Uh, Richard Lewis said, uh, if they don't know who I am by now, uh, it's not worth bringing me up on stage. So just uh, say, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Lewis. So it's uh, (laughs) – it – I just remember the crowd going crazy. I was standing on stage. The uh, lights at Zanies are uh, you're you're kind of it's a high stage, so the lights are pre, you're kind of even with the lights. So I I could only sort of make out the silhouette of Richard Lewis making his way through this very tiny comedy club, uh, and people were trying to reach out and touch him. And, and Richard Lewis was, uh, you know, tr- <laughs> not a fan of people reaching out and grabbing him. And I I was um, I I didn't shake his I didn't put my hand out there again. I've worked with I had worked with. Con- 
comics who didn't like to have their hands shook before they went to the microphone. Um, I'll just give as an example. There's a wonderful comedian named Carla Felicia who became the uh, head writer for for a lot of great shows and was one, I believe, a head writer on Mike and Molly. She did not like to. She and she would tell you, please don't uh, don't shake my hand because I realized later because she's short. She's about five foot one, five foot two, and comics would sometimes hug her. And so in the in an effort to make sure that she, she wasn't, um, you know, just she wanted to keep her space to herself. And she asked me not to shake her hand when she came up to the stage. And so with that in mind, when I opened for Richard Lewis, I decided to wait until he showed me what he what he would, you know, like to be addressed as he came on stage after having said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Richard Lewis. And um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know if this is a good story or not, because uh, so Richard Lewis, when I would, when he would get to the stage, I would leave the stage so that he would have that all to himself. Usually you shake their hand, uh, they take the microphone. Uh, every headliner is different. So I would exit the stage. I would stand at the bottom of the stairs and give him the stage. And he, every night, would give me a peck on the cheek. Um, and that every single time I opened for him he would give me a peck on the cheek and uh, and the last time I opened for him would have been about 2000 I want to say 2008 no 2000 no maybe 2006 I think was the last time so it's been a, a while um, I was asked to come back I was uh, that by that time a headliner myself so I wasn't an opening act but uh, they had asked me to come in and open for him and I'll never <laughs> forget it had been a while since we'd seen each other so he came on stage and uh, I put my cheek out like waiting for the kiss and he walked right by me and I was like oh I guess I guess we've moved on from that moment but uh, I, I loved working for with Richard Lewis and for Richard Lewis um, his fans were uh, unbelievably kind to opening acts uh, sometimes you'll have a headliner and people act as though oh, I gotta sit through this comic um, and when comics bring out good people that's also I think a reflection on them uh, I am grateful for all the great stories and, and um, the uh, opportunity to work with him to learn from him uh, I know that he has uh, so many people who loved him and uh, and mourn him and uh, I again uh, grateful for the stories and saddened by the loss of comedy legend um, Richard Lewis Let's take a break here and uh, we can get the conversation going. There was something else I was going to say and now I can't remember what it was. Hmm. It was Richard Lewis and then something else. Hmm. I'll figure it out during the break. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. A lot going on in the news. And man, some great conversations uh, with Joan during her show uh, about so many issues that are going on right now. And in particular, uh, I I am glad to hear that there are... uh, there are there are pieces of legislation uh, in the works on several levels. I believe I've mentioned if, if you were listening to Jones show, uh, I, I don't know who she I didn't recognize the legislator. I jumped in in the middle of the conversation and I was getting ready. Uh, but um, one was uh, corporal punishment in schools. And I've mentioned this before. Uh, I was whacked by my uh, sixth grade teacher for talking and laughing. I know it's hard to believe for uh, talking and being disruptive in class. And it, it like. 
the, the pain is the one thing, but that you are, it was humiliating. And not just because we were hit and everybody knew. It was like, he had to make it so protracted of a thing, like this lecture about how I talk too much. And uh, that I, I, what did Mr. Z said? He said I had a, a mouth like a, a, like a train with no engine. It was a caboose or something. Like Meaning that there was nothing to stop me on an endless track that went on forever. That that was how much I talked, which I guess worked out all right for me in the end. Anyway, he uh, he put his arm around me and he was you know, talking to me about how um, I was I was being disrespectful, and I and I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think I've I've mentioned this before. Um, he, he also had a tremendous amount of odors going on. I am very sensitive to odors. He had bad breath and beat. He didn't have deodorant on. And I was like, I remember thinking, oh my God, just hit me and get it over with. And I joke about that. But um, like he made this whole ordeal where you, you actually chose which weapon he was going to hit you with. He had two paddles. He named one Big Ben and the other one was Little Mo. Um, Little Mo was made out of pine. It was lighter and it had holes through it. And the whole thing was that it was more aerodynamic so he could swing it faster and harder. And then uh, Big Ben was kind of like a – they were paddles. Uh, And there was a a thick, heavy, like dark wood uh, paddle. And um, I don't really remember which one I chose. What I do remember is that I had left my house keys in my back pocket. Uh, And I remembered that upon impact because that hurt too and left a mark. Um, I don't know why. And my parents, uh, my mom said she didn't remember that being in, in the information that they had sent when they registered me at this parochial school. Um, I, I I was surprised I, I, that we didn't have legislation on the books or that there were still schools that were doing this because uh, it's just, I remember there were a couple, one kid, I'm not kidding you guys, one one of my classmates got whacked. He was crying in class because his dog had died that day and Mr. Z decided that that was too disruptive and he hit him for crying too much in class. Um, there is no reason to ever hit a child and it gives people like my 6th and 7th grade teacher this sort of um, ridiculous amount of power to dole out as they wish. It's not, there's no reason for it. So call your legislators and tell them that you support the bill that is in works right now that is making its way, I'm guessing through committee, um, that uh, you you support eliminating corporal punishment in the, our parochial school system. I can't believe that they even have, um, I believe I believe she was saying that there's no oversight from the Illinois State Board of Education that they can they have the right to do that. And I, it's just so gross, you guys. All right, let's take some phone calls. Uh, I know that they were also talking about IVF and um, some legislation to protect uh, our access to the full range of health care. Brian is calling from Juliet. What's on your mind, Brian? Hi, Patty. Hope you're doing uh, well uh, Thank you. Uh, this afternoon. And uh I'm uh, phoning back. Uh, I was uh, wanting to relate on the uh, topic of uh, abortion. I uh, referenced a passage uh, on uh, social justice or social uh, injustice. That was uh, um, Isaiah 10. Uh-huh. And... Uh, on social injustice, Isaiah 10, and I read that. And then uh, in relation to Matthew 25, 34, uh, where uh, Jesus uh, 
where it's stated that, uh, you know, you, you were thirsty, you gave me drink, hungry, gave me food, naked, gave me clothing, visited right. me in prison, etc. Right. That, uh, and uh, uh, that uh, both of those uh, on social injustice, Old Testament and New, uh, Paul phoned in, and I believe that uh, he was... Uh, um, uh, using torture logic there to kind of uh, th- there's nothing in the Bible that I can find that has anything to support uh, 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 abort uh, be against uh, uh, being pro-choice. And uh, 1959 already there was talk of a population explosion, mm-hmm. and uh, in the, the early uh, 1980s I remember being very aware of this. Uh, consequently, uh, not being uh, uh, I believe pro I'm certain probably not being pro-choice is illogical, immoral, as women, especially women and men, and, pro- and also their children, uh, giving that parents don't want them or won't love them if they don't want them. They will either physically, given economic conditions, or emotionally die. And I think being... Uh, uh, "Quote unquote pro life" is uh, the height of hypocrisy. And if I can relate uh, uh, a personal experience I had, it was either in 1986 or seven. Uh, I was invited uh, to uh, <laughs> "quote unquote" audition for a so-called doctor at a uh, college for uh, uh, doing an additional part-time uh, uh, semester there. And uh, are you on? I am. I'm listening. Go ahead. And uh, uh, so uh, I did uh, the uh, the blackboard uh, in front of him, and a very friendly nun who invited me asked me to do this. I thought, you know, uh, I'll take the time to just show him I know how to teach. It was very easy. I did John Stuart Mill's Ethics and the blackboard. And afterwards, he asked me out of nowhere, uh, what do I think about the abortion issue? I told him I was pro-choice. He said, why? And I said, well, one of the reasons was because of uh, wealthy uh, women who want an abortion are going to get one anyway, and poor women won't. And then he got furious with me. Uh, as if he wanted to pick a fist fight, and this was at a uh, uh, a college which was supposed to be a religious college, and this man claimed to be a doctor in it, and uh, I didn't even want uh, to work there after that. I don't blame you. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know that that. Uh, uh, Kind of. Uh, the, uh, did you read the the passage uh, that little passage of I, I, Isaiah ten in the Old Testament? You know, I was thinking about this after the show last night, and you know, I years ago I I thought you know I should really uh, get like a certification of having studied the Bible, and I thought. You know, because I guess we have to push back on why they're doing what they're doing when it's like it shouldn't. And I hate to say this, it shouldn't apply. And so I have not I have not read it because I, I one I have three jobs and a severely disabled child. And I have a lot going on and I also try well, to relax. It was only a, well, it was only a sentence from I, Isaiah. I, I, just said, I, I understand. Go ahead. Okay. Those who enact unjust statutes uh, that uh, bring about decrees uh, hurting the needy and right. uh, and the poor of their rights and uh, making plunder of widows and uh, right. yeah the rest of it and so if you're going to uh, take the position that you uh, have your own uh, brand of uh, Christianity to smoke then you shouldn't uh, 
uh, force it down the throats. Uh, I mean, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. And you uh, spoke of Augustine, uh, the philosopher, uh, St. Augustine in uh, Catholicism. And, uh, you know, uh, he had some good points and he had some bad points. And uh, Aquinas was very sexist. Uh, apart from that, he had some other points that were good as other philosophers. Plato Brian, was very much a feminist. I'm, I'm going to pull a Tom Hartman and ask, where, where do you want to go with this? Because uh, I just want to make sure I get to some of my other calls. I just wanted to put out there what the teachings of Christ and what some other people have interpreted and what your interpretation is. Right? Well, my interpretation, I think I made it quite clear just right. now. I, uh, I understand that. So where, where would you like to go with Actions speak louder than words, and I think it's the height of hypocrisy for anyone uh, to sit there and uh, tell people that they have to have children that they don't want while they're uh, fat and sassy and well-fed and well-watered three times a day, uh, whether it be a politician or a religious leader of any stripe, and they're not giving out uh, their money and preaching about social injustice in general. My Excellent. very clear, Peggy. Yes. Well, there you go. Wonderful mic drop right there. Then we're good. I appreciate it. Great points, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay. Uh, Ray, before I forget about talking about the corporal punishment bill, what do you want to say, Ray, in Naperville? Hello, hello. Thanks for taking my call. I uh, worked in education, uh, Chicago Ridge, uh, Finley Middle School. Um, corporal, educa- corporal punishment in any uh, education setting I am strongly against. I think that's why we have a lot of uh, violence, people lashing out, stuff like that. Uh, I experienced uh, mental uh, punishment, you know, from some of the teachers, them humiliating students when they didn't know the answer. Yes. I actually had, I turned it in and it was a really, it was a really bad situation, but I turned it in as an advocate for the students. And I'll tell you what, I got nothing but backlash. And uh, it's almost like we're in a society where the administrator, like some of, not all, but some of the administrators, superintendents, they don't want to deal with it. They want to push it under the rug. Yeah. It is a very hostile environment already our children are in. And being in the teacher's lounge, hearing how teachers, some teachers, not all, but some, a few of them would talk about the students. It was disgusting. And I myself went to uh, Argo High School. I was hit. Uh, I was 15 years old, 16 Uh. years old. They had two sticks as well. Uh, And it was either 50 push-ups or the stick. And I always said, I'll do the 50 push-ups because, you know, I liked working out. Well, they figured that out pretty quickly. And uh, me and a couple of my friends, and instead of having to do the Saturday detention for four hours, we said, you know what, yeah, do your best. And uh, but it was that sense of humiliation and degradation that uh, really, either you might not have thought about it at the time because it was a quick couple swaps. It didn't really hurt that much. Me, I know other people, it, it did. Um, I had a... You know, very strong body. There was just that degradation and humility, and uh, it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything to stop us from doing that. But we were doing smoking in the bathroom or whatever, cutting right. school, going to Elfo for a burrito. It did not do anything against that. So I'm highly against uh, hitting our kids in school. There's, you got to talk to them. More importantly, listen to them and try to get on their level and figure out what's going on. 
I agree with you. I'm so sorry that happened to you because I I think that, you know, look, one of the reasons I probably went into comedy is my teachers taught me to have a very strong um, lack of respect, actually, for authority. I mean, because I knew what they were some of them. Right. I mean, I knew what some of them were doing was wrong uh, and mean. And I and I've had I've told this story too. where I we had because it was a Lutheran school. There was they did parent teacher meetings in our homes. Right. So Mr. Z was the one that hit me. But Mrs. Jordan, I got we played a game called Johnny Tackle, where basically we lined up on opposite sides of the field, field, ran at each other full speed and beat the crap out of each other. And one of the kids, yeah, one of the kids uh, ripped my shirt open. I was in eighth grade and he was pointing at my my bra and laughing. And uh, and I just wailed on him. I mean, essentially, also, I think that, you know, we were taught that violence was the way you took care of things. Right. If you're going to yeah. if, if I'm going to get hit by a teacher and someone disrespects me. So I started fighting with him. And uh, and, and the next and, and the, I don't know if it was that night or the next day she called my house and, and it must have been that night she came over and uh, came over and t- told my mom I'd been in a fight with a boy and asked her what kind of young lady my mom thought she was raising. And my mom told her a young lady who can defend herself. And I'll tell you something. Mrs. Jordan did not go to Brian Manziera's house to talk to his mom about how he behaved. Mrs. Jordan would often like humiliate students, uh, you know, make fun of the way they drew, like they signed their names. You're right. I, I think that the, the psychological harm is is bad too. The thing we can do about corporal punishment is, is at least address that and hopefully find a way where we're not, uh, you know, someone just texted me. I had a fifth grade teacher who said I had diarrhea of the mouth and constipation of the brain. That's awful. Yeah, it is. That is. And I, I, I can relate so much to you, Patty, and to finding humor through, like, despair and, you know, humiliation. I, I'd done the same thing. I was a class clown forever. And, uh, but, yeah, it was it was hard at some of the schools. And, and being a one-on-one aide for so many years at Finley and at other schools and seeing what some of the teachers would do and, like, you say something nicely to them to try and, like, correct them. And, well, you're a paraprofessional. What do you know? And it's like, well, I'm also a father. And the one teacher I turned in, he was not a father. He had nothing. He had no clue. And uh, it was just just a bad scene. I mean, even now in our schools, it's going on. It it really, it really is. um, I wouldn't, if I had to homeschool my daughter, I wouldn't mind it at all. Ray, are you saying that there's a school you've worked at as a paraprofessional where they use corporal punishment on individuals, kids with uh, disabilities? I have not seen corporal punishment, but I have seen humiliation. I have seen mental punishment oh. and uh, absolute, absolute cruelty, racism, and uh, this is on the south side, Chicago Ridge, and uh, the superintendent has since left. Uh, they're making some changes there, but you wouldn't believe. I'll write a book one day on it. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't believe the stuff that's going on in these schools. I'm so you sorry to hear it. that, Ray. Um do you yeah. would you mind passing along? Would you hold on and, and uh, give Andy maybe your email address? So I can connect with you if you ever want to just you know uh, share anything with me, or we could, could just connect because uh, I I sure. I'd like to do a little bit of research. Okay. Sure, sure, sounds good. Sounds I appreciate good. it. No at all. all right, hang on the line. Mm-hmm. Have you called before, Ray? 
No, I've never called before. No, well, no, Ray, I, just, I heard it, this and I was like, I got a call. Uh, well, Ray, call. it might be Thursday, but hang on the line because I, because uh, uh, in case, you know, well, because you've never called before and I think this is so important. I'm grateful for you sharing and opening up about this. I want to send you one of our first time caller uh, gift cards because uh, I, I know I haven't heard from you and I just want to say how grateful I am. I'm grateful for all of our callers uh, and we'll find some prizes for everybody. But you hang on the line and uh, share your email with us and we'll connect with you, okay? Thank you, Pat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ray. Have a good night. Oh, that's really... You uh, too. Thank you. That's that's so heartbreaking to hear. Let's take a break here. We'll continue with our phone calls when we come back on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. I don't like the bad words in this song. They're blasphemous. I can't sing along. Well, here's a version just for you. Sing with me just like Jesus would do. Steve Goody getting a little worked up about you voting uh, every single day. I guess we should be reminding folks, make sure you're registered. Talk to the folks in your life and see if they're registered to vote. Make sure your voter registration is up to date. Uh, this it's uh, it's go time, folks. We need to get this uh, get this done this year. Jim is on the line. What's on your mind, Jim? Staying on the subject of corporal punishment, nothing's crueler than taking a child from their parent, like the Republican uh, Party did during nineteen sixty, during the twenty sixteen, out of uh, cruelly uh, solved the border problem with Steve Miller. That was his idea to take away children from their family. Yeah. Thousands of children were, were. It took forever to get to find. It took a Democratic administration to find out where these kids were to be placed. And another tedious thing today, uh, President Biden being coherent as usual, said they had a deal. They had a deal and the Republicans walked away from it. Then we have the incoherent uh, Republican nominee saying, we'll put them back in the cages. We'll put them back in the cages, these vermin, these vermin. I mean, it's such a stark stark difference between the two parties that to me anybody with a conscience or anybody with any kind of feeling how they could vote Republican is just beyond me. Absolutely beyond me. You know there's Republicans out there I know. I, I don't. I mean, there, there. I think one of the guests that Joan had on earlier was talking about how single issue voters are a danger, and, and I think that uh, we, in I think the Republican Party has done everything it could to make sure they have as many single issue voters as possible. So you have, you know, absolutely, you can't take my gun and uh, abortion is murder. So you have those are very strong voting blocks and it, it, it galvanizes people to get out and vote. I mean, there, there are conservatives who are like, I'm a, a fiscal conservative. There's a couple things that, you know, that I uh, I kind of agree with Democrats on, you know, whether it's gay marriage or things here and there. But it's enough for them to, as you mentioned, it doesn't seem to drive enough of the level-headed people out of their party when they do so much damage and harm to people without any regard for dignity or safety. As you mentioned, the the pain is the point of separating kids from their families as a deterrent, I guess. It's all a mess. The Republican Party had a rich history of progressive 
Republicans. Teddy Roosevelt was a progressive hey, Republican. Abraham Lincoln. There were progressive Republicans. But now they've gone completely Trump. They've gone over to, 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 to Trump. Yeah. Like he's some kind of a, yeah. he's going to solve the America's problems. It's just absurd. Yeah. It's absolutely absurd. The situation we're in is absurd, Patty. That's all. It's just a situation that's absolutely absurd. But I'm positive, I'm absolutely positive that Trump is going to get destroyed in this election. And I think that the Republicans will have to go back to the drawing board like they always have, or any party that gets killed, and figure out another strategy and how to attract voters. I think that's the that's the horizon we're at. Anyway, Patty, thank you very much. Thank you for calling, Jim. Uh, I also, uh, I was... I, you know, I love working here. Uh, I'm grateful for everything that we have access to, all the information. I am wondering why the news broadcasts that we share have Trump speaking at the board. He's not the president. And, and I'm, t- you know, people have been saying he's essentially the incumbent. And people keep asking. I mean, I, I get it that he had the office before. Maybe I, I and I probably should Google the definition of incumbent. But I, I thought that is the current uh, seat holder because if people keep calling him the incumbent, uh, it sounds more like they're saying they're agreeing with the folks who say he didn't lose. Like that's such a weird thing. We need to we need to stop saying while out. You know what they should say, Andy, at the top of that during that news broadcast while out on bail. Former President Donald Trump was at the border to just spew some nonsense. Like that's the headline. <laughs> that's it. He, you know, I, I get, look. He gives these speeches at his rallies and and pontificates and and stumbles across words and mentions the wrong names and people are like, well, you know, he's just fired up and I don't really care about what he says. But if if Biden, you know, ha- makes a mistake and uh, refers to the leader of Egypt or the leader of Mexico rather than Egypt, uh, oh, he's you know, he's he, of course he and it came in that moment after the uh, DOJ had released, you know, her. The special prosecutor had released his report about uh, Biden. He's working all the time. There are fires going on all over the world. What does Trump have to do? Show up and hawk gold gym shoes to his cult members and show up at the border. He could, he could sleep all day and roll out for an event at Mar-a-Lago. He ain't doing jack crap except for showing up in court sometimes. This is absolute insanity. So every, you know what, from now on, when you hear a news broadcast about Trump, just to yourself go while out on bail. You know, <laughs> just held liable for rape. I'm just saying, these are the things. Duh. Hi, Dynamo Dave, how are you doing? You're doing very well. Uh, um, <clears throat> rest in peace. Uh, you're kind of you're the guy you used to open for, Richard Lewis. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? I can. Um, so a couple things. Um, on a serious note, you know, Trump, uh, it seems he may have a form of dementia to me, uh, which is uh, vascular dementia. Because um, if you're familiar with that, it's like these mini strokes happen in the brain. And my, my, my father had it about 11 years ago. He passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. About 10 or 12 years ago. But uh, he, he came down with that. And, and, like, in the morning, he could not, like, lift a spoon to his mouth. But by noon, uh, he could. Because it's a bunch of mini, very, very mini small strokes happen in the brain. Vascular dementia. And so if you recall, you know, Trump having trouble lifting a glass of water that used two hands. You no, know, that was when he was president. And then when he was trying to walk down that ramp or whatever, right. he was 
mean a lot of help. And, and those were like early, you know, symptoms of it. And then I was listening to, and by the way, I'm no doctor. I do play one on the radio though, but uh, no, I don't. Um, there, the other thing is uh, uh, listening to Paul, uh, Tom Hartman. He was talking about uh, that he also may have syphilis because there's people. I talked to a, a friend of mine who's worked in nursing homes, and she said a lot of these dementia patients were people who were not untreated for syphilis, and that causes dementia. Hmm. And that's what Adolf Hitler, they believe, had. Uh, as well, because he wouldn't admit that he had a disease because he believed that came from, you know, the unclean people or whatever. Right. And so he didn't and, get treated for it. And I believe Capone, Al Capone, I believe, also had syphilis. Yes, yes, he died of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, but anyway, I don't know if you well, want to do your Googling and figure out the, well, you know, um, if there's a in, in addition to the things that you've referenced, uh, look, we get, I'm sure, look, they they break down every movement and eye blink that uh, Joe Biden has. Uh, so as soon as I feel weird trying to you know dissect the way someone walks or talks, but there is a video of you know where you've seen this where he kind of drags his right leg a little bit. That's another element that people are discussing. It also reminds me, the only thing about talking about someone's health. We know that uh, he's ridiculous about it and talks about how I you know I passed a I passed a cognitive test. No, you know, it, you know, ninety eight percent of you wouldn't have passed it. And of course, and people passed it around. Nikki Haley, I think, shared it and was like, you know, Trump thinks that you're all incapable of passing this very simple test. It's what I'm trying to say is it's icky. And it reminds me of when Hillary was in the chase for the presidency. And I had a friend who we were standing, another comic, we were in the back of Zanies, and he was telling me about how, oh, you know, if you zoom in on her tongue, you can see this white spot. It's it's maddening. Like, here's the thing. All, all those things, I, I don't doubt the possibilities. It, it shouldn't even have to come down to that. It should come down that he's a terrible person. He did terrible things, yeah. and, and he is... He's, he, look, he has been found liable as a rapist and then uh, defaming her. Uh, he has proudly talked about sexually assaulting women, regardless of being held liable. Uh, when he was in office, he completely dismantled our reaction to our response, the playbook for a, a global pandemic that had been established by President Obama. He wanted to destroy everything. And that's how we lost hundreds of thousands more lives than we needed to because he went out there and lied. Like, there's so many things that he did that we should not be voting for this man again uh, and the health things on top of it. I mean, I, I feel like we are doing it because they're doing it. Uh, I just feel gross doing it is all I'm saying. It's uh, Yeah, that's true. This is a good point. And it's really, uh, you know, uh, as I think uh, Mr. Backman calls him, you know, failed, you know, 91 indictments, failed President yeah. Trump or whatever. And, you know, but he only accomplished, what, one or two things. One was the big tax cut for the rich. Yep. And what else did he accomplish? He kept talking about an infrastructure bill that never occurred. That's a really good point you make because I was watching, and I don't know if I don't know if the comments from Mitt Romney came from the clip that Andy has uh, that, that Andy uh, put together. Um, you know, when Romney's talking about our relationship with Ukraine and things that I didn't even really quite understand. It, you know, there's so much that comes out in these conversations about what's happening in other parts of the world, but that we had negotiated with Ukraine and promised them that if they did not have nuclear arms, we would stand with them in the event of an invasion. So it is our word that is important there. But Romney also 
also said in an interview, uh, I think it was last night, that uh, he was asked, would you vote for Trump over Biden? He said no. And then he started talking about how there were some things that he liked about Trump. And I'm like, stop, you know, or tell us what that is. And he didn't. He And the interviewer didn't say, well, give me some of the good things that he did. I would have liked to know what Trump, what um, Mitt Romney thought were a couple of the good things that Trump did that he liked. And I'm like, why? Why? What? What, what could it possibly have been? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, probably that, that, that big tax cut. He probably liked that one because it meant Mitt Romney yeah. tax, and he probably would have pulled the same nonsense. Yeah, he right? wants to get another elevator uh, for his cars installed, I guess. There you go. There yep. you go. Well, they don't call you perceptive patty for nothing. Uh, the fact that you're bringing up the things that are obvious about this candidate, that why he's not really truly qualified based on all those yeah. that litany of things you said. Because you can, don't even have to bring up the dementia. It's all those other things. Yeah. And also, what did he accomplish? Did he really make America great no. again during the, the prior to COVID? No. I, you know, I doubt it. You know, but anyway... Yeah. So thank you for taking my call. Uh, wishing you the best and happy leap year day or leap oh, yeah. day. Oh, yeah. That's right. Happy. Uh, there's like a centurion in, or old. I think she's a centurion. She's only celebrating like her. I don't know how many February 29th there have been in her lifetime, but she's only like <laughs> she's very young <laughs> on her birthday. Thank you so much. Have a All good right. one. Take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, let's take a break here and uh, continue our conversation because, uh, again, I. It, Donald Trump ushered in a an administration, uh, a, a basically a landscape of complete torture for a lot of people, whether it was people who continued to uh, suffer from the effects of the pandemic, whether that's physical or financial. Uh, let's you know talk about all the, the people across the country, millions of women who do not have autonomy over their own bodies. You know, Missouri is talking about eliminating Planned Parenthood and, and charging Planned Parenthood. Their AG is going to charge Planned Parenthood with child trafficking if girls cross state lines in order to seek uh, preventative care for their bodies because it is more dangerous for a 12-year-old to have a baby than it is not just intellectually but physically than to have an abortion. And and that, by the way, if it's a 12-year-old, out the door, that's rape. There's not even... And for all these people who are like, well, you know, I believe in exceptions in the cases of rape or incest. (laughs) There you go. Uh, There's your exception. And Missouri wants to ban... uh, They're calling it trafficking and they don't want they want to restrict the ability of young girls to be able to have autonomy over their bodies it's just i can't this is insane and there's no parental consent is there parental consent for a girl to have sex just uh, let's take a break here more after this on wcpt820 heartland signal they want to you know what though they want to ship in more girls so they can marry them in places like that more in a moment you're listening to driving it home with patty basket on wcpt820 Hey everybody! I uh, sometimes I just get into a, like I get uh, I get so angry. So when I start thinking about all the things that have happened since 2015, from the moment that guy went on the escalator and said that uh, Mexico's not sending their best, and they're sending their drug dealers and their rapists and their murderers, and part of what's locked into that memory for me was less than two weeks before that, my son's school, Declan's school, which was a therapeutic day school for individual kids with disabilities from the age of three to eight years old had been vandalized with swastikas and the language of kill all the, and it was, and and for whatever reason, the the day that he came down the escalator, I'm like, oh, this is somehow like it felt 
and I said it on the air. I was on another station. I said, be very careful. This could be the next president of the United States. And there was just something about the energy, the rage that was just, it was all there, folks. We always talk about how, you know, Trump, uh, you know, led this. They were there. He, he's an, an enabler. Uh, he's a Pied Piper of this kind of energy. Uh, and I was very concerned. And so many horrible things have happened since then. Uh, I just, I can't. Anyway, Roosevelt, you want to keep it on this topic? What's on your mind, Roosevelt? Eddie, thank you for taking my call, my friend. Of course, it's good to hear you know from what? you. Yeah, you know what? When you know you, you're giving me uh, bad memories, man. When he came down the escalator and he said the stuff about Mexicans. Yeah. You know what? I know. I know the word hate is is very strong, very powerful. But I do hate the man. When he said that, you know what I thought of right away? I seen my grandfather die at the age of nine. My grandmother at the age of ten. And I grew up with them. Uh, so when he when he said that about Mexicans, to me, he insulted Mexicans that have died, Mexicans in the future, Mexicans. Period. Yeah. Me, I took it. I took it very personal, very, very personal. And what amazed me about this country was the fact that nobody got together with the Mexicans. Nobody said, "Hey, he could be talking about Italians. He could be talking about Germans. He could be talking about Irish." You know, yeah, but no, no, everybody left it alone. You know, and it all boils down to one thing. That's the color of your skin, in my opinion, yeah. as a Mexican. Yeah, in my opinion. So you, I, I will ahead. say you know, something just very silly uh, in regards to that. I will say so this was when I and I mentioned earlier that Richard Lewis is in part uh, how I, I ended up in Hollywood uh, trying to pitch uh, sitcom scripts and movie scripts and things like that. And uh, that summer, I, d- I did sell the my life rights. Uh, it was a sitcom called uh, The Better Half. And it's funny now, looking back at it, I, I realize there's now a third part of that it could be, which is my half Mexican part or half Irish part. But uh, we were able to, uh, in that moment of so many people of Latino background, because, you know, we are not the most galvanized voting block or even like, you know, culturally, we are a little antagonistic sometimes with each other, Mexicans and Puerto Ricans and Guatemalans and El Salvadorians and Chileans, but everyone came out in support of Mexican, every Latino country. Do you remember that? And that was no, part of how we, that. that was part of how we sold my sitcom was like, look, here's an entire community, an entire demographic that is, is, oh. is aching to be represented in our, uh, in our televisions and our, and our movie screens and in music. So that was, you know, and again, comes back to Richard Lewis and to that moment. And, and then, and then, by the way, after that, uh, when Trump won, they were like, "Good luck selling any Latino-based uh, projects in the next few years." And that was very hard for a lot of my f- friends in LA to get work. Uh, you know, another thing, another person that came to mind is George Lopez. Have you ever heard the stand-up? Oh, sure. The stand-up comedy on, uh, uh, on specifically on Trump. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> He works very blue, I would say. Oh yeah. But I do remember, I do remember one thing, one joke about, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna clean it up as much as I can. But uh, George Lopez, when uh, Herman Cain, Herman Cain came into the scene. Remember, he said that we should put alligators and vipers oh, and everything. Oh yeah. By the way, I believe Joe Walsh said the same thing. But go ahead, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so George Lopez says, "Go ahead." 
And he used the word T in Spanish, uh, a very belligerent word, a very strong word in P, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some other time what it is. I, I know what it is. I can't say it in Spanish. I know. Me anyway, either. go ahead, P. He goes, go ahead, P. We'll make purses, wallets, belts out of them. <laughs> out of the alligators, <laughs> in other words. Right, right. That's funny. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so so he came to mind, too. And and that's it, because of the fact that, you know, you have to, you have to let it out somehow as far as uh, taking it, you know, and with a little bit of sense of humor, because otherwise it makes a person very angry and very, you know, like I said before. And the one thing I cannot stand is the damage that he's done, permanent damage yep. to this country overall. Overall, not just uh, particularly to uh, one race or one group or one uh, culture, but the whole country, the young people like your kids, your your kids, my kids, permanent damage. These guys are going to be paying for for those tax, uh, permanent tax uh, breaks for the 1% for years. You know, the wars of the wars of Bush, you know, and the stuff that Reagan did. And all this comes down to me. And I always say this. I lived through Reagan. I knew how bad it was uh, when when he started that, uh, you know, hitting the, uh, uh, the union, the unions. Man, everything left. I mean, yeah. my my mother got my mother used to work uh, PC boards at Midway Valley. I worked there as a as a fourteen year old. We used to do the wiring, used to do the harnesses for the for those big, big uh, wooden cabinets. Those were the original right. Pac-Man. Wow. I, I remember that. I remember, th- yeah, I remember testing them on the line, testing those those Pac-Mans, and they were humongous, and it was all wood. It was very, very uh, heavy, heavy. But anyway, back to the back to this thing with with Trump, and I I agree totally with who said it, Jim. Wasn't it Jim that says he's going to get his buck kicked? I believe it's going to be a landslide. I mean, not that we shouldn't go out there and vote. But I do believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a landslide. And I believe, again, driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks, says. And politicians getting caught grabbing asses, says. She's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Thank you so much for joining us. And hello to our friends listening in Minneapolis, St. Paul on KTNF 950 AM. Uh, We're so glad that you're driving at home. And we're going to switch gears a little bit this hour. Uh, You know, there are things that uh, we talk about. Well, you don't know until it happens to you. And and I have to say... um, in my life, there have been things that have come up, whether it's uh, my father having uh, cancer and learning more about what it's like to, to navigate our healthcare system and caring for someone you love. Uh, I, I was one of those people before I had kids. I would see someone with a child with a disability and just think, oh, I don't know how they do it. And now being the proud mother of two beautiful boys, uh, Griffin, who is uh, incredibly smart and big hearted. And uh, I say this all the time, the best big brother for his little brother, Declan who it just lights up every room he walks into, loves music, uh, loves to play, and happens to be missing a tiny piece of his brain. Uh, the corpus callosum is thin in his frontal lobe, and it makes uh, his life a little bit different. And and, it, and I've learned language. I, I keep learning about him, about our community. And I have had so many incredible relationships throughout Declan's life. Uh, I'm grateful to have learned more. I'm grateful that I have a platform to talk about these, these issues. 
issues and what's going on in the state of Illinois. And I'm thrilled right now to introduce you to Carol Rosen from the Going Home Coalition. Uh, Carol it's good to see you again. It's great to see you. Thank you for having me here today. Let me see where you're... Is that, is that microphone on this one? That seems like it's really low. Let me see. Let me try this one. Go ahead. This... Yeah, thank you, Patty. <laughs> is that better? Is that okay? Oh, maybe I'm not hearing her. That's Is, it, is that better? You're, you sound good. Okay. According to the producer behind the glass, <laughs> you sound good. Thank you for coming in today. Oh, I know that I know it can thank be a you. hike sometimes, uh, especially you know with traffic and everything. How was traffic today? It was okay. I listened to Beastie Boys Brass Monkeys on loop, so it was a pretty good drive. <laughs> I love that. You're like, all right, excellent. Excellent choices in, in driving music. Um, tell me a little bit first about yourself. Where did you grow up, Carol? I actually grew up in Milwaukee, okay. Wisconsin. Um, I spent a lot of time in New York City after graduating college, and then I moved back here to be with my now husband. Okay. You say, I love Milwaukee, by the way. Oh, it's, it's much hipper than when I was growing oh, up. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's it's a great it's a great city. It really is. Every time I drive through it, it, it keeps getting better. We uh, we right. have a correspondent in. Uh, well, we have one of our good friends, Dan Schaefer, who writes for the Recombobulation Area. Have you flown through the Milwaukee Airport anytime recently? No. They have a Recombobulation Area after you get through the TSA and put your coat on your ja- your shoes on. So fun. So he named his and he covers all things Wisconsin. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wisconsin. It's I, great. I, it really yeah. is. So is it weird to be a Chicago a, a, a Milwaukee girl living? in Chicago sometimes? Um, you know, I spent enough time in New York City that coming back was sort of a bit of a, you know, bump on, upon re-entry. Okay. Because it's so much calmer than, you know, New York City was. Is that correct? Yeah, and then we moved out to the Burbs and actually we'll enter that conversation because yes. my daughter was disabled and, and is disabled mm-hmm. and everyone was like, no, you got to leave Chicago. So, I, and, and okay, so that brings us to, yeah, that, it, it's so hard. I mean, and Declan's entire life, people have told me to leave Illinois. Oh, that's true too. We'll probably touch on that. Yeah. So, um, so what did what did you set out to do? What was uh, what was little Carol Rosen thinking? She was uh, in high school or college. What were the plans? Uh, um, you know, I I think I really my my life changed when I entered college, uh-huh. and I actually had kind of um, a couple of tragedies happen to me in oh. college. But it was it's wonderful because. Um, I ended up traveling more and doing things. And I think it changed the trajectory of what I was thinking was possible. So um, I ended up in fashion. I worked for the French designer Yves Saint Laurent when I when I lived in New York. What? I designed, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> That's amazing. I designed jewelry and spent a lot of time in Thailand. So, yeah. As I you do. I lived in Israel. Sure. And in France. I, okay. You know, I've done, like, all these things. And then um, I'm married late in life, so I say I live my life backwards. And then my first child was born, and she's very complex disabilities, and so it's really changed again the trajectory of my life. So yeah, and that, it's funny when I was running for office, I ran for state rep, and I would say that my daughter, my son was born with uh, was medically fragile when he was born. Mm-hmm. And and do you get the? It's it's interesting the many different uh, emotions that we go through that people don't realize, whether it's when people stare, when they have questions. Uh, in addition to all the other, you know, sort of the, where our energy has to go, right? It's a lot to I, manage. Absolutely. And De- Declan's how old? He's 18 years old. Okay. I My daughter just turned 21 uh-huh. in January, and it was such a 
jar like to my system and it was such a shock and I think there's definitely like pivotal times yeah as our kids get older and we see kind of where the world is compared to like where our lives kind of stay put and so that was a big one for me yeah yeah I remember having there are moments that that are crystal clear for me in my memory of you know we we know that our lives aren't this you know is (laughs) I hate getting I hate feeling jealous of how right. easy it is for some families and, they, and and I feel not to I try to get mad that they don't realize how easy their lives are like oh, that's interesting. there's an there's an example I have is that we went to uh, Philadelphia and mm-hmm. it was uh, the summer of the, the Democratic National Convention so it would have been like whatever 2016 mm-hmm. right and it was a heat wave it was brutally hot <laughs> it was abs- it was gu- I mean like it just sweat everywhere and Declan had had an accident and, oh. it, and he'd gotten his his wheelchair was soaked Mm-hmm. His all of his clothes were soaked, and we were at the where the Declaration of Independence was signed, mm-hmm. right in the Independence Hall. And there is no bath that like it's literally the original right. building. There's no right. bathroom in there, and you have to go across the street to the the park the park ranger bathrooms. And the only handicap area they had the heat on in the bathroom. The only water in the sink was hot, and the only way to change him was on the. Fl- it was like horrible, right. right? And so I get them all cleaned up. I'm sweating. I'm frustrated. And I see this woman like yelling at her kid for like not, you know, for not paying attention to the tour. And I was like, I would kill for that. I would love love for my kid to be bored with a tour of Independence Hall, Carol. And and I'm chuckling away only because I have like five stories that, you know, that feel feel that to me. And you've you've also touched on issues of accessibility for people with disabilities. And, you know, throughout my life, it. It really motivated me so much traveling with my daughter um, that I got my master's degree in interior design with a specialty in universal design and aging in place. So I look at the way environments are built yes. all the time. I mean, um, story after story, my daughter's pretty much one and only rock concert. Our concert was with Justin Bieber, Bieber and laying her on the floor at the stadium Ants crawling all over the floor, you know, and like having to deal with that and manage that at the airport where you think is a public space where you could have that accessibility. Um, Also, like every time I would move to change her, the automatic hand dryer would yes, all the time. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. And then I was laughing because it's not funny, but that's also a thing of a mom whose child has disabilities. But like marching around in like ninety nine degree heat in New Orleans on a trip for my father's birthday, and and just sweating. And she had um, played Josephine, so she's wearing like a plastic helmet on right. her head so i'm just like yeah it, it, well we have to knowing it, laughter of yeah exactly it's it, it's so absurd and, and the thing about the hand dryer thing is that you're getting this blast of heat you also are in a room with the echo there's so much sensory input like i don't know how we I, honestly when people say i don't know how you do it i'm like i mean right. either right <laughs> i agree i agree i get that a lot yeah yeah I, and and as i well as i get older it actually i'm like no, it's not. This is, <laughs> it's not working. So yeah, no, it takes a lot of strength. So you have big shoulders, Patty. We, well, we all we have to. I yeah. mean, when people say, "I don't know how you do it," it's like, well, we don't have a choice. Yes, 
That's true. That's it. Very much true. And and I love that you uh, you know you have found ways to not only uh, you know moving forward for your daughter's future, but also for others. Because uh, let's let's talk about this. Because um, you mentioned uh, aging in place, Mm -hmm. and that's something that you know our kids have grown out of the oh look at the cute kid, you know. And and there are a lot of challenges when it comes to our community as our kids get older. Uh, The the hardest one is, and I've mentioned this to you before, and I hate saying it, but it's I know people get sad when I say it, I I don't want to, I'm afraid to die first. Yes. Yes. Number one on like 99.5% of parents list is like, I I don't want to be the first one to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hate yeah. saying that because I also don't want my child. It's not that I want my child Absolutely. to die. Yeah. It's that I'm afraid that when we're gone, I don't know how. I'm sorry. No, no. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's emotional. It is. It's very emotional. And so let's talk about Going Home Coalition because you are working very hard to bring attention from our legislators, from our electeds mm-hmm. of what our community needs. So tell us how Going Home uh, Coalition started. Uh, it's actually over a decade old and it was created by some people who wanted to advocate at the ARC and it's had different names over time but it's morphed into its current state called going it's even have different names and then it's now called going home coalition and it's really a coalition at this point of over 200 individual and organize, organizational participants and allies it's like we want everyone to understand what's going on in the disability community and just do as much as we can to make the issues within the dd system known Okay. Yeah, and we so we're really um, advocating for robust community services, and within that, we're also saying without you know, there's definitely a a, a portion of that that with robust community services that we as Illinois residents who respect the rights of people with developmental disabilities want to a pathway to towards deinstitutionalization yeah. in, in Illinois. Yeah. And and we've seen uh, you know whether it's been uh, journalists who've done the investigative research mm-hmm. or there's been you know oh, just sweeping research about what happens in some of these institutions. So we have so there are I would it's funny it, it's interesting because I don't uh, I, I don't look at these numbers as often as I should because of the work mm-hmm. that I do during the day. I should yeah. have more of this information so I'm glad that you brought this too. Yeah. For one landing place for me, because there are so there's the 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 uh, latest uh, consent decree, yes. right? And so tell folks what that means. With the there was a, well, and I know because I talked to Governor <laughs> Quinn when he was kind of struggling with like you know trying to understand more about where our community was coming from. So for folks who might not be familiar with where we are with institutionalizing people. Okay, so I'm going to try and keep yeah. it really simple and not like stumble on this, but there's there's specific legislation that's really fostered the advancement of people living in the community who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. The Ligus uh, Consent Decree is one of those pieces of legislation that came out of the ADA legislation and then the Olmstead decision. And basically what the Ligus Consent Decree boils down to is that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities have the right to live in the most integrated uh, setting in the community. And so that was after Stanley Ligas. He's still 
alive. He's an Illinois resident, and he had moved out um, into the community and is living very happily in the community. And with the supports, because one of the things that was with the supports, and that's that's the part that was so uh, crushing uh, during Governor Rauner's administration, because like there were, there were, I mean, they were essentially making it so hard for people who were caring for family. I mean, you know, I I shouldn't have to tell you, but the the depth of harm that was done in those Mm -hmm. four years, you know, we talk about what's going on now with other things, but uh, they, for whatever reason, and, and I suspect it's because our community, it's harder for us to, you know, you know, like sometimes you'll email me and I'm like, ah, I get so many things <laughs> yeah. and I apologize and thank you for your oh, patience no and, and for listeners who think I don't give them the kind of tone that they want. Uh, <laughs> I, I got a lot going, I got a lot of plates that are spinning um, because Oh yeah, our community—it's so hard to rally. I mean, you have like all these mm-hmm. special interest groups. That's why mm-hmm. Going Home Coalition is so important. And I encourage folks let's let them know about the website too, or the, the how okay. do they email you and get yeah, on the mailing address? Can, you can go through the website, or Patty said that we could maybe drop the links in yes. on the on the Facebook page. Yes. But basically, it's www.goinghomeillinois.org, uh-huh. and that's how you can reach us. It also says join us. There's a tab, and that'll get. Through, uh, through us to us at the at the Arc of Illinois, and I remember one of the meetings that were that we I, I was listening to. Um, someone was talking about how you have to have, and this is why I ran. You have to have somebody who this is lights their hair on fire, mm-hmm. and so that they can build a coalition. Mm-hmm. And so, folks, if you have a legislator that you can work with, we need your help. Mm-hmm. We need your help to tell them that there are so many issues that they, that they can advocate for, that they can get get support for, that we need them to know about. So let's take a break here. We need them to know more about and to be invested in, because the stronger our community is, the stronger communities are, don't you think? Yes, and I want to touch on that because we're doing something right now. Oh, good. Let's come back. We're, we're, we are hanging out with Carol Rosen with, with the title at Going Home? Going Home Coalition. No, your title. At the, uh, the Going Home Coalition Manager. The manager <laughs> yes. of Going Home Coalition. Uh, go, again, it's goinghomeillinois.org is the website. And you can find out more. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. And we have a comedy show to tell you about. And we're going to talk to one of the comedians in a little bit, too. More in a moment. Sorry. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technocraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Basket on WCPT 820. We are in studio with Carol Rosen, the manager of Going Home Coalition. Go to go to goinghomecoalition.org to learn more information. We are talking about uh, Illinois services uh, for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And uh, long, long-term care is, is part of the focus in, in this in this regard because, uh, as I mentioned, I, I don't know what happens next. I mean, my husband and I aren't getting any younger. I was doing CrossFit for a long time so I could pick him and pick that because Declan's 110 pounds. Up until two years ago, I could still give him pe- piggyback rides, Carol. Oh my gosh, buddy. Yeah. Like, hats off to you. Yeah, I, I was trying. behind me. <laughs> and one of the ways, one of the things that I learned when I was in Springfield, you know, we can do, we can 
you know, have all the rallies and have all the meetings, mm-hmm. unless you have a pre- presence that is pressuring legislators it is, and and the governor and uh, yes. and getting the the message out there, it's very hard to move this very heavy ball down the field, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And we have written letters, and really, like the sign-ons for the letter have been really amazing. And I feel like that momentum has built also through other organizations right now. At the time, there were um, organizations like Equip for Equality, ACLU, um, Access Living, you know, tons of people. Um, and the point is, is that, you know, we really need that strength in numbers and really to keep advocating. And that's what I wanted to touch on yes. is that, you know, legislative advocacy isn't really second nature for anyone. And so we are in the second of nine modules through Going Home Coalition and another program at the Arc of Illinois called Speak Up and Speak Out. And we're teaching legislative advocacy skills for everyone. I generally have a self-advocate um, co-presenter, but we'll be touching on like how to find your legislators, creating an elevator speech, making a meeting with your legislator. What do you want to you know, say? What do you want to do? How a bill becomes a law? It's like things that we learned maybe, but don't necessarily know yet. So, And one of the things I talk a lot about on this show is how crucial it is to know who your local electeds are. Yes. For any reason. They are so much more likely to have a direct impact on your life. Yes. And we're, we are teaching that literally next Thursday at 10 a.m. And one of the sites that we talk about is how you're going to find your local legislators. And one of the other things we talk about in Going Home Coalition is get involved, get civic, civic engagement is huge, and that happens on many levels, including the local level. Yep, it, it, it can Let be your cha- know who you are. Yeah, like your chamber of commerce. Absolutely, uh, volunteering at farmers markets. You get to know people in your community. Absolutely. Uh, and I will say, uh, I mentioned this. Uh, I, I talk about this sometimes. Um, I remember when Declan was little. I'm not. I'm not particularly religious. I'm spiritual, mm-hmm. but we were. My, my husband is Catholic, and so we would go to the Catholic church. And for Easter one time, Declan was so fascinated with the music, he was trying to run towards the, mm-hmm. the piano. And I, and I, you know, I would let him kind of get as far as I thought was appropriate and then bring him back. And this guy grabbed my wrist and said, you need a leash for that kid. And I will say, like, it made me like, you know, a lot of us are driven away from public spaces Mm -hmm. when, you know, we we think, oh, you know, I don't want to be disruptive or I don't want people to stare Mm -hmm. or I don't want to put up with. I don't want to deal with it. But we so Steve went back with with Declan and Griffin. I didn't go with uh, one time. And he told me how the priest treated Declan and uh, how kind people were. So I started going back. And when we're when we weren't there, people would notice Mm -hmm. because we're part of the community. And it's hard to get out there, isn't it, Carol? It's absolutely uh, hard to get out there. But I I also think that that's the exact thing that's going to get movement on issues that are important to people with developmental disabilities and their families. Like, just make yourself be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I've seen the opposite, Patty, where where there's a person there... like I can't assume their disability, but like they ran up to the piano at like a church event and they were allowed to sit like right in front of the piano. And my daughter, we go to synagogue and she was in the choir and she's nonverbal, but she would just sit there and yell, I love you. I love you. Like that's one of the things she says and happy. And she just sits there, everyone's singing, you know, whatever they're singing. And she's like, I love you. You know, and so it's like, it's just beautiful. And she's really welcome there. So 
We are hanging out with Carol Rosen again, the manager of Going Home Coalition. You can go to goinghomeillinois.org. Now, we have a comedy show coming up. Tell yes. us a little bit about this event. Well, I'm going to say thank you to Patty. Um, <laughs> we, we, I think it's really important to fundraise um, to keep our coffers filled and just to create a presence. And one of the things is Going Home Coalition is all virtual meetings and we're statewide. So I was trying to think of a good event that could accomplish a lot. And I think, you know, it's a very serious subject. And I thought of this virtual comedy fundraiser and I was like, Patty, I got to connect with you. And Patty graciously offered to MC and perform. She's a very talented and seasoned performer. And so we're going to be doing that with two other great people, Pamela Schuler and Tina Frimmel. And they're just well-known in their own right. And I think you have like seven, um, what is it, seven degrees of separation? Oh, really? Yeah, with Pamela. And then, you know, they're just doing great stuff. Like um, Tina was just on Jimmy Fallon, The Tonight Show recently, and Pamela's out there all over. And they're just, I'm excited. I'm so excited for a night of laughter and levity to help a very serious issue. And how do we, uh, how do folks register for the, the event? They can go to the Arc of Illinois website and register for that and if you don't mind we could also drop it on the Facebook yeah, page yeah of course oh, yeah. You know, we'll, you. we'll get a, um, a flyer how'd you like that flyer yeah, absolutely good. you looked great and then we'll put that on, on my Facebook page we'll get that up every week as well thank you yeah, of course I so appreciate it let's take a break here oh Pamela's already on the line so let's take a break here <laughs> and when we come back we'll talk to Pamela my apologies to Pamela we got a commercial here we're hanging out with Carol Rosen with Going Home, Co- Going Home Coalition go to goinghomeillinois.org and go to the Arc of Illinois website to get more information about our comedy show coming up on March 21st at 7.30. More on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 9.50 a.m. in Minneapolis-St. Paul. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are in studio with Carol Rosen, the manager of Going Home Coalition, and we have been talking about services for individuals with disabilities throughout the state of Illinois and to highlight the work that she does and, and that they do with Going Home Coalition and to amplify the message and to do some fundraising. We have a comedy show going going on coming up on March 21st at 730. You can go to Arc of Illinois to find out more about that show and I'll have the links up on our Facebook page. And one of the comedians joining us on the 21st is Pamela Schuler, who joins us from New York. Uh, you know her. You can see her on Netflix, Dr. Mike videos, NBC. She's also got a, a one-woman show, What Makes Me Tick. She also has been on a Jewish matchmaking show. Pamela, so many things to catch you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Excited to be with you. I am excited, too. Now, Carol, have you talked to Pamela on the phone before? I just have to say, no, we okay. haven't. Here the you go, you're meeting. Person, the yes. nicest person through the ways that we have communicated, like through Instagram and email. So it's great to meet you on whatever. Outstanding. On <laughs> She said. She told me before. She's like. She's the nicest person. <laughs> Pamela, where did you grow up? Where Where did they raise you so nice? Well, I got kicked out. Of, so I'm originally from the Midwest. So I feel like the Midwest <laughs> still shines through. Uh, sure. I, I ended up going to boarding school in Burlington, Vermont, and now I live in New York. Bur- wait, I'm sorry. You had to go to boarding school. <laughs> How did it, I did. Oh. I say went to, but the, probably the phrase is shipped away to. I got <laughs> to boarding school. 
<laughs> and Vermont of all places, where everyone's like, you can't get that yeah. from here. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was hippy dippy. It was everything. I loved it. Oh my god, I I, uh, I love it. And so now I'm reading here because you talk. I, I talk. About, I have a son who is who has disabilities, and I and I talk. And it is a sort of a strange lane for me to be in. And on the show, I advocate for for our community and for you know. I started out by advocating for him, uh, and we. I am honored to be on this show with you and with uh, Tina. with Tina. Yep. Um, and so you talk about some of the challenges that you've faced in life. But I just came across something that said that you had, when you were diagnosed, you were diagnosed with the worst case of Tourette's in the country. Yeah. What? No doctor had ever seen a case worse than mine. I broke my neck from throwing my head oh my back goodness. so hard. I had like no control over my body and the noises that I made. And yeah, it was it was really rough for a long time. Oh my gosh, yeah. Tina, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. And nobody wants worst worst case I've ever seen. That's not the things you ever want to hear a medical professional say, right? right? Although- I still want a trophy. Like, if you're going to yeah. tell me no one's seen a worse case, give me a plaque, a trophy, some kind of money award. <laughs> Those uh, will all suffice. Agreed. Oh, my God. Tina. <laughs> now, when did you start to... Were oh, you... Because yeah. I was talking earlier about how things that I've gone through in my life, I, I, maybe I was a little... I covered my despair or rage through you know talking too much in class and trying to make people laugh. Was that something that, that you kind of leaned on a little bit? Or you know, when you became a comic, were people like, yeah, I could see that, or I never saw that coming? Um, I think they all saw it coming, but not in a typical sense. At boarding school, they forced me to write letters of apology because I was such a jerk to everyone. And those letters are hilarious. And boarding school was the one that was like, we should put Pam in stand-up comedy. So they did. Oh, my. <laughs> they just be a comic already. Uh, and, and now, uh, when, when you started doing stand-up comedy, like, we, well, first, did you do, like, an open mic? Was it at a, a student kind of a situation? What was your, because my first open mic was at a pool hall, which we all have a weird, <laughs> we all have a weird first origin story. What was yours? Oh, my gosh. So uh, they put me in a class, and then pretty quickly I started doing, like, open mics and little shows around, like, the Burlington area, and I went to summer camp in the Midwest. I was doing stand-up there. But, like, as a kid doing stand-up, it's often at bars. And so the staff at boarding school would, like, I was, like, on a leash. I mean, they would walk me to the stage. I would perform my five to eight minutes, and they would get my butt out of that out of that bar so quickly. Um, so, you know, the only thing I saw on the inside of a bar was the stage. Um, oh, so, God. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful they were supportive. I'm just glad they didn't put, like, a bag over your head. Like, like you've been whisked away. Right? An unknown, unknown location. Don't don't look at any of the booze or any of the drinkers. True. I think if I, think if I had, like, done one wrong thing, that would have been the next move. <laughs> Short leash. <laughs> no, I, I, I had, I had uh, encouraged you to send, like, I don't know if you've ever done, like, uh, some of the radio shows. There's a radio, like, Bob and Tom will tell you you have to give them five prompts. And I'm like, I always, like, struggle to come up with that kind of stuff. And, and I would imagine if you came in studio, the first thing, like, when you do interviews with, like, whether it's in person uh, and f- folks are like, now, how tall are you exactly? Like, is, is it weird how we address your height? Because I am one of those people that I, I don't have a very good filter. But I usually, when it's somebody tall, I'm always like, oh, my God, you're so tall. But I've never said it to anybody who's very short. Uh, although in my head, I, I probably say terrible things. What, what, kind of, what are some of the things that people say to you? Oh, everything. I, but I like, I love being short. So, and I also have no filter. So it's hard to <laughs> offend me. 
And I also have no perception of height. Like my whole life, I described my sister as tall, blonde, and skinny. And she finally looked at me recently and she goes, you know, I'm 5'2", right? And I was like, like I said, tall, blonde, skinny. I don't. Yeah. Oh my God! I don't. Have you seen these uh, these uh, like social media videos of women realizing how small they look to a tall person? Like they put a camera yes. at five at six yes. two. Yes, you're my like uh, you're like okay, girls, you got nothing on me, right? But I like. I mean, even on the subway, someone recently looked at me and he goes, "You're really short." And I <gasps> pretended like I didn't know, and I started like running my hands over the top of my head and being like, "Where's the rest of me?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I didn't realize it. That's such a perfect reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, and that is the way to deal with folks. I mean, is it, you know, I, my choices are either well, I have choice. I could ignore it, right? But then, I mean, it happens so often. You have to let them know that it happens so often, right? Yeah, and also, I mean, I love being short. So when people point it out, I don't get offended, and I like to meet some like things that people shouldn't say with snark some of the mm. time. I will say, though, you know, with Tourette's, I often am an educator. I tour with a show that combines comedy and storytelling. I also have a master's in advocacy to teach about valuing differences and inclusion. And so in a lot of settings, I don't meet it with snark. (laughs) But on the subway at 10 p.m., there's no reason not to. Okay, you bring up a really good point because I, I have to thread this needle sometimes because I have a I have a I have a with kind words I, I give speeches about what it's like to receive a diagnosis as a mom for your child and and what you imagine your future would be and all the medical stuff you have to go through, um, and, but it's called with kind words. Now that's for those presentations as as Pamela mentioned. If we're one on one and you say something stupid, it's not going to go well. It's just not. <laughs> It's is it when you see someone staring because uh, I make eye contact when I stare at Declan and I'm like, I- thank you for your prayers because <laughs> be- people have to stare Pamela. Do they stare? They do. And also people say things to me. I all the time have people tell me they're going to pray for me in my condition. Oh my I'm like, if someone says I'm going to pray for you, I say, please don't. Like, if you're trying to work on that, it's to get a real job. <laughs> See, and this is, I'm so excited to work with you. I'm, sad, I'm a little bit sad we're not doing it in person, uh, but that's OK. I we, know. Eventually, eventually, eventually we'll do it in person. What uh, how, did you do a lot of virtual shows in the earlier at the height of the pandemic? Oh, so many. At first, I like, you know, everything got canceled. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm a performer. The world was pulled out from under me like it was for everyone. And I like did a a depression deep dive. And then I realized that I've had my I've had a disability my whole life and it has taught me how to be an innovator. And I just have to innovate differently right now. And so once I realized that I like bought a green screen and a microphone and I started not only performing, but producing. And I did a few hundred corporate shows, bachelorette parties. I mean, it was like the most random things, and I did it all, and I had a great time. Yeah, that's, How about you? Did you I do did, a million? Oh, God, yeah. A million, same thing. And yeah. I, I did, like, uh, I, I was doing lunch breaks and uh, uh, amplifying, like, neighborhood joints and stuff, too, and, like, small business owners. But my green screen, I have one of those, like, pop-up ones. Like, it's in a tube. So cool. I love, yeah, I love that thing. <laughs> I was like, same thing. I got a microphone, and then I did the. I actually, yeah. the thing about doing radio is that it lends itself to just sitting in a chair doing comedy. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay, I was yeah. okay with the that. Problem, yes. The problem with a studio apartment is if I didn't have one of those screens, people would see my bathroom, my kitchen, and my bed uh. all from my camera. So <laughs> I'd be a little creative. Yeah, I was not aiming to be on Room Raider. Are you familiar with Room Raider on Twitter? 
a little. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Carol, uh, there's a there's a Twitter handle called Room Raider, and so because everyone was zooming their their interviews on MSNBC and okay. CNN, they would rate people's rooms, and oh. and they, you don't count if you have a green screen, which is fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm with Good. I'm with Pamela. You don't need to see my stuff. You, there's there's no getting into that. Now, are you are Good. you still single? Because I know that you were on Netflix's uh, Jewish matchmaking show. Uh, yeah, I am still single. So, if anyone listening knows. <laughs> Like a nerdy, chubby, funny dude in his 30s or 40s. I don't know. Send him my way. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to think on it. I used to be, I've gotten people married. Have you? Oh, oh Carol. Yeah. There's yeah. got to be like, he's got to have some drive. You know what I mean? I don't care if he's like rich, but like drive. And he has to understand sarcasm because I am, I speak in sarcasm and there's like a level of commitment to the bit that is unmatched. And I need a guy that can match it. I, I really need to hang out with Pamela. I'm sorry. You do. I, 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 actually, I, I feel like the crew I is such a great feel like set this of needs people, to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, Pamela! I just—I'm uh, so excited. So, what? What uh, are you traveling a lot now? Are you uh, on tour, or doing uh, corporate gigs? I mean, you talked about having a master's in advocacy and teaching people about inclusion. Yeah. Are you doing all of it? It sounds like you're doing all of it. I do it all. I do colleges, corporate, middle schools, high schools. Yeah, and every show's a little bit different. And I've got you know the 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 like clean version that's an hour of a keynote or a show and then I've got like where I work a little bit blue and I'm doing colleges at late nights and kind of everything in between. Yeah, I, I, I try to explain to folks because you know there will be a video. YouTube uh, there were comedy videos even before we had you know Facebook Live and so uh, like there was MySpace which I never figured out and then you know, <laughs> pe- you know people would uh, have their cell phones and then put our, our comedy online and it's, it's one of the things that makes me crazy because it's out of context but then videos would pop up where I'm a little raunchier, and I have to explain. I have to explain to people I can do anything from church basements to third show Saturday, and third show Saturday means you got to be a little naughty, Carol. That's all I'm saying. I agreed. Agreed. It yeah. came up in the discussion of the fundraiser. I'm like, well, you know, it's life. <laughs> yeah, do, are people when when you do a raunchier show? There, like, people are so funny when it comes to just women and comedy in general, aren't they, Pamela? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about the fact that like when really primarily men, when they see an, a, a male comic they don't like, they think he's not funny. But when they see a female comic they don't like, they think women aren't funny. Yep. Oh, oh yeah. I struggle with. <laughs> yeah. I I can't even, I, I will be honest. I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, I, I love doing stand-up comedy. I, I try, I, I love being able to do more of the corporate work. It's, you know, I'll do clubs, but uh, doing the clubs and everything involved with that, like, you know, bookers who would tell me that, like, not just being a woman, but having a, a Latina surname has been, like, people have asked me to change my name. They're like, well, it's kind of hard for me to sell in this, you know, in this town and stuff like that. But, Pamela, you know this. People will see that there's a woman on the marquee and pass. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Good times. I think we're all up against that. But in like, I'd like to think in every industry you're working up against something, and I like a good challenge. Yes, I'm learning as I go. I'm, you know, I love that. I like, yeah, not only a female comedian, but I talk about disability and dating and loving who I am, and I try to bring in some different things that I'm hearing on a regular basis. And that's so smart to do. I mean, because I will say, I'm sure you get this a lot, where people will tell you, I, I just, I've never heard stories like yours, and it does mm-hmm. open people. Up, it, it connects with people, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I hope so. And listen, Tina's on the show, and she is not only one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life, she's also one of my great friends. We love that we're doing this together, Aww. you know, for such a great organization. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to be a part of this. Also, Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being there. And look at that. And, and you went to boarding school. And now I'm finding all the information about it. And Tina was, <laughs> is from Burlington, Vermont. Exactly. What? Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah. Too amazing. Well, I wish you the very best uh, in all all the journeys that you're on right now, all the work that you're doing. Congratulations on that. Uh, where can folks find out more? It looks like we should be following you on Instagram and all the social media, shouldn't we? My Instagram is Pamela Comedy. All of my handles are Pamela Comedy. But I, Instagram is where I hang out most. And so for sure, uh, yeah, come check out my stuff there and say hi. Go to PamelaComedy.com and join us on March 21st. The show is at 730. It's virtual. You can watch from the comfort of wherever. Uh, but don't get too comfortable if you're on screen, please. Uh, and, and, you know, just a good angle. Good angle for everybody. Exactly. It's, it's just, you know, I mean, Pamela and I think we've done shows where I, I saw a whole family on a bed that had no sheets on it. And I didn't, I couldn't stop looking at it. I'm like, please, just a blanket on that. I don't understand what's happening right now. Uh, I, 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 you know what, if you don't mind, I'd love to have you on one, one more time before the show if you have time for another a quick phone call so we can catch up a little bit. Fantastic. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Wonderful. Maybe we'll get Tina. Maybe we'll get Tina and you uh, on the phone. That would be wonderful. Or separate. Whatever. Whatever works for you guys. Anytime. Thanks, Pamela. It's Pamela Schuler. Go find her Thank on social you. media. Take care. Thank you. PamelaComedy.com. Bye, bye, Pamela. Be, be well. See you next month. Let's take a break here. We'll, we'll continue our conversation with Carol Rosen and uh, continue to remind you that you can get involved and have an impact on how our family members, Not I don't mean ours and Carol's personally, I mean people throughout our communities. More than 10% of Illinoisans are disabled. It might yes. be higher. Carol will tell us. There's tell at us. least 289,000 people who identify themselves as having disabilities. There we go. Yep. That's a big number, folks. You yeah. know somebody. More in a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM Minneapolis-St. Paul. Folks, I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown in Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Carol Rosen, the manager of the Going Home Coalition, joins us in studio. Again, we have that comedy night on March 21st. You can go to ARC of Illinois. That's A-R-C of Illinois. Uh, and find out more about our tickets. We'll have the link up on my Facebook page. Follow the Patty Vasquez Show page. We are also live streaming, by the way. We just started this week live streaming on Twitter. Just started yesterday. So you're also you're on all the platforms, Carol. It's Yay. very exciting. Uh, for, for for folks, do we have any uh, aside from the comedy show? Is there are there any days of action coming up? Like maybe in Springfield, where we can tell people to jump on a train with me and go down there. We're working towards that. Okay. I'm, I would like to do that as part of fundraising for this event. If okay. we get like total momentum, because that's something that we haven't had grant funded yet. But the legislative, le- legislative advocacy modules that we're doing now, we intend to support anybody who wants to make a meeting with their legislator to help them follow up and do that and help them 
all the whole the whole way. So we have done that in the past. In fact, that was how I got involved with Going Home Coalition in the first place. I spoke at the Capitol Rotunda. So folks want to learn about that. You said you're having modules. So next week at 10 a.m. on Thursday? 10.30 a.m. Thursdays for the next seven weeks, we're going to be discovering new things about legislative advocacy and really giving you a step-by-step way of doing things. And this will all be on Zoom? Yes. Excellent. Yes. So folks Everything can register? Virtual. Going home yeah. coalition meetings are virtual. How much easier did that become? I mean, being able to, to get folks uh, you know, educated about their rights, about what's going on because of Zoom? It, yes. It gave us, for people who have you know, IDD, it gave us a whole leg up and we're also even doing a study with UIC on how technology and advocacy go hand in hand and the methods that we're using in Going Home Coalition that's been presented out there and we're extending that study. That's great. And one one of the things that we mentioned and that came up during one of the meetings that I was on on, on the call for was uh, you need to have legislators who have this as a priority because so the and again, the reason I ran was I was I remember sitting in the press box and people would get up and talk about how they're a small business owner and that's why we need to have these this legislation to protect businesses or I'm a union member and and the and those those kinds of legislators not only have their story and the weight of their ability to get support on a piece of legislation, they also have the special interest groups. You have the chambers of commerce, you have the unions, which is great. We don't have multi-million dollar organizations that are able to uplift the kinds of needs that our community needs. And I think you're absolutely right and we've gone ahead and called like every single legislator and sent out information and sent out articles and Illinois residents don't realize that they are footing the bill for $350,000 per person in our SODCs where they could be supported in much more, you know, integrated ways and more humane ways. There are very serious human rights abuses that go on in our state institutions, unfortunately. Join the coalition folks be on that call next Thursday because not only will you learn how to advocate for the a community that has gone underrepresented and unsupported for so long I mean there are a lot of legislators who who are fighting the good fight I know that Senator Laura Murphy has been uh, really responsive and has carried some bills I know that and I know that there are others but I've worked with her most recently and uh, and I was telling her I'm putting together a report for my office on the caregiver crisis because this is not just in the United States it's it's nationally, but unless we improve the working conditions for the people who provide the supports, we cannot improve the lives of people who need the help. Absolutely, and that's one of the things we advocate super strongly for is that we have people in the community who do support people with DD that are being paid what they deserve. And there's a, there's great people: Senator Julie Morrison, yes, um, Senator Laura Fine, Bob Morgan. You know, there's lots of great people that are shouldering like causes that are there to help people and their families with developmental disabilities. Outstanding. And I, I know that when you come in, you, you know that you want to, there's certain things you want to make sure you say, because we've got about a minute and a half left. What do you want to make sure that you tell folks? Okay. It's all yours. If, actually, I think we got almost two minutes. Patty, what would you want to say? About what would them? I want to say? Yeah. What would you want to say about you've, what you've learned from even being on going home coalition meetings? Uh, I think that, and I think I've been covering it, is that the there's so much passion for the people who are doing this work, many mm-hmm. of whom are directly uh, impacted uh, and, and, and operate from the, the drive 
of we have to do better. We are, from the last I checked, 49th in the country when it comes to services Correct. for the disabled. Uh, you mentioned that there are almost 300,000 people in the state of Illinois who identify as disabled. Uh, what I've learned is that we are the first to, uh, our community is often the first to be on the chopping block because when Governor Rauner made those cuts in 2015, yeah. the only other cuts he had made before that, do you, do you remember this? Forestry. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. 209,000 families are supporting a loved one with IDD in their homes. They're underfunded. The people who are supporting people with disabilities in the community are paid a minimum of $5 less than someone what they are making in an SODC. 15,000 people are on a waiting list to get services. This has never been about just my family. It's about a larger community. And every time I get updates on like, oh, yeah, we're doing snowmobile paths and investing, you know, money towards that or saving pheasants in this one area of Illinois and putting money towards that. I just get really heated. And there's historic investment by the Pritzker, um, the Pritzker Oh my gosh! That foundation the, or the, the Pritzker putting Governor Pritzker putting into the DD system, but nonetheless, there's incredible strides that need to be made because we are so far behind, literally the rest of the country. Yeah. So we need additional historic investment to really make an impact to affect the robust community services that are needed. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you, again, the comedy show is on March 21st, 730, and I'll have the link up. And we'll talk to Carol again. It, whenever you want to come in studio, oh the door's gosh, always open. You know that. Thank, Thank you, you, Andy Miles, for keeping the show running. I know I'm behind. You have to get rid of something probably. But Mike Creeps <laughs> up next with Devil's Advocate. Bye, everyone. Thank you.